This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by David Higginson, Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer at Phoenix Children's. David, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Yes, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to talk about the things we're going to discuss. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm excited for our conversation because there's so much happening right now, and especially thinking through what's going on with technology and healthcare, some of the EHRs, different policies and regulations. So I'm looking forward to jumping into that discussion. But before we do, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I've actually pretty much dedicated my whole career to working in children's hospitals in the U.S. I started at Arkansas Children's Hospital and worked there for about 15 years in a variety of roles, including a chief technology officer, and then moved to Phoenix Children's uh, about 11 years ago as the CIO, but I've also had roles there in operations and also the chief administrative officer. So really prided myself with not just kind of being the typical IT geek uh, sitting in the basement every day, but someone who gets out into the hospital, learns what goes on, both with clinical care and the general operations, and then tries to kind of apply technology to help solve problems and ultimately, for me, make children's health better. Um, when you work in a children's hospital, honestly, the mission is often what we get drawn to. And for me, it's a very personal thing. And you know, there isn't a day goes by when I'm really motivated by trying to make life better for kids. And at the end of the day, that's what it's really all about. But we do try to really apply technology as best we can to leapfrog um, and provide better care for kids than they would get if we didn't have it. That's amazing to hear and definitely a very, very worthy mission. Now, I know it's been about 15 years since the launch of the Meaningful Use Act. And what is your overall opinion of the current state of EHRs? Are they meeting your expectations? And, and what, are, what do you really see around these this technology and platforms? Well, I'm certainly old enough to remember when EMRs were really paper-based. And uh, I remember the old days where we used to have lists of uh, patient records on paper that we had to get delivered in carts to clinics every day. And, you know, the chaos when a, a medical record wasn't delivered on time or the wrong record was there. So I certainly remember the days of paper. And I think we're way better than we were when we had paper. So certainly think that from that perspective, EMRs have really done a great job. And, and also in the U.S., we have near total adoption of EMRs. So I think everybody has managed to get on one and meaningful use allowed everyone to kind of get to the same bar. But the thing when you think about it, you know, much of the software that's used today was developed at least 20 years ago, if not longer. Um, and it's been a slow kind of evolution of those tools. And we've really not seen a revolutionary change in EMRs in quite some time. And I think one of the challenges to that is that it takes just a huge amount of programming or coding just to develop an EMR. It's a bit like writing an operating system like Windows. There's just so many facets to it that it takes a really long time. And it's almost a, a challenge for new players and new technology to come into the space. We all have seen the failed attempts by some of the big tech companies like Google and Microsoft. Um, so I think it's been a really great transition. Um, what I feel, though, in general, if you kind of look at it in the last five years, there was a lot of promise about EMRs. Not, not only were we going to replace those paper files moving around, but I think we all thought there was going to be kind of a two plus two equals five effect where the, the data that we spent all this time typing in was going to be transformed and produce something that we didn't have before. Um, and I'm a bit worried at the moment, certainly in the last five years, that things have maybe stagnated a little bit. And while we're doing a great job typing things in, we've got those EMRs implemented, not seeing a huge uh, kind of a, a, a two plus two equals five where we get something new out of the, the system. And so um, I think 
especially in the environment we're in right now where people are really looking at the money they're spending on things and the margins for healthcare are very, very low, if not negative, that when we look at the cost that we're spending on EMRs, you know, possibly in the hundreds of million dollars a year, especially when you think about the cost of typing into them, I'm just not sure we've quite gotten all the juice uh, we can out of them and it's just not something extra we can get. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and it's really interesting to think through the history of the EMRs and, and, you know, how they've evolved over time. Do you think providers are getting the value from the data at the very least that they're capturing to improve healthcare delivery or has it really become just more of a recording and billing system? Yeah, I think there are there are small pockets where we're starting to see some value in the data, but I, I, I see a, a kind of a worrying trend which tells me that maybe again we're missing an opportunity. One of the things obviously is I think all of us hear a consistent set of themes from providers about the things they don't like about the EMR. It doesn't matter what brand of EMR it is. I don't think it matters whether you talk to providers five years ago or two weeks ago. There's often a consistent set of complaints about the things they don't like about the EMR. So I think from that perspective, that they're not thrilled with the experience, maybe in the same way that they're kind of thrilled with their experience on their iPhone or other devices they talk about. But the other thing I've seen which gives me cause for concern is this kind of change of the note that the provider does. When when we started with EMRs, a lot of people spent a lot of time kind of taking that EMR and breaking it up into really structured components. So you you kind of had sections and you had checkboxes and things people filled in. So you got really structured data coming out of the note. And there's been a 10, five years I've seen with people moving back to more big blobs of text. So in fact, we're almost going back to what it was like when we dictated notes. And we have a huge long narrative in many, many cases and often not much else. The problem with that, while it certainly makes life easier for the physician, I think in many cases, it doesn't really give us the ability to use the data because now we have a big run on sentences. We don't have the ability to extract that data. And we have to use engines like NLP engines to try to get value out of that data versus having a very structured note where we can pull those dynamic data pieces out. And I think the reason for that is providers just haven't seen the, the value or haven't seen tools where they can really mine that data and get value from it. So they're saying, well, why would I spend so much time typing it all into extra boxes when I could just put it into a big narrative, get the record keeping done, get the billing done and, and move on get and see more patients uh, versus that perspective that, hey, if I put the structured data in, perhaps I can get an insight that I couldn't have gotten before. And so that is a really worrying trend for me. I think there is hope on the horizon, but um, that is something that I've seen happen in the last three or four years, which almost seems like we're going backwards. That's really great perspective and, and definitely, you know, a challenge to figure out how to troubleshoot some of those issues and, and really uh, create some of the change needed in order to effectively use the data that could be input into the EHRs. Now, what has been the data strategy at Phoenix Children's and why has it been so successful? Yeah, I think, you know, Phoenix Children's, 10, 11 years ago when we made our big changes around EMRs, we took a slightly different view of the world. And I certainly wouldn't say it's been a popular view, uh, certainly to start with, but I think over time it started to bear fruit. And what we really decided was that the data that comes out of the EMR is as useful, if not more important than just the kind of the prettiness of the user interface or how it felt to type in. So rather than focusing on, all we need to do is get a beautiful interface to type in and make it as quick as possible, what we focused on is can we use the EMR to really extract really important data and give the physicians insight to take care of patients in a way they couldn't do before? And, and could they do it, you know, 
quicker, more effectively, and with more focus, and fundamentally make life better for the patients that we see. And so our approach has been to, to implement systems that allow us to get all the data from them in real time and in one place. And you may have heard terms like data warehouse and data lakes. We, we kind of refer to it as data soup, is if you put all the data in one place, you turn up the heat and you stir it around, you get something much more tasty than if you just had the, the components by themselves. And so we've invested 10 years of getting all that data in one place, understanding it, which is really important, and then being able to link it from lots of different places to get new insights we wouldn't see before. One of the things that's really struck me is that when I look at an EMR, typical data structure, there's nearly a million data points if you look at all the different tables and all the, the data that's available. But there's no way a doctor can look at a million data points. They typically only need 50 or so for the disease that they're working in to get valuable data. The question is, which 50 of the 1 million data points and how to present it in such a way that it makes sense. And so we've not only spent time gathering the data and curating it, we spent a huge amount of effort understanding disease by disease, what are those 50 data points and how do you serve them up to a physician at the right moment and in the right way that they can make a difference in patient healthcare. And so our data strategy has been, like I said, to get the data, but really understand it from a clinical perspective and at the end of the day, convince our physicians, and this is true in our organization, they want to add more structured notes, structured boxes to their notes. They want to actually capture more information in a more detailed and structured way, solely because they understand the value of using the data. And that's a lot different than saying, well, you know what, let me just put it all back into a big narrative because at the end of the day, I've just got to write a note and get my billing done. And so our strategy has been very detailed around data, but really it's all driving to that end result is that how can we take better care of our patients, maybe have less visits, have better outcomes, and have a physician really engaged in the care of the patient and be excited about the outcomes. Got it. That's really interesting and definitely a great overview. Um, exciting to hear what Phoenix Children's has been doing. Now, could you talk a little bit further about how Phoenix Children's EMR system has improved disease management and patient safety? You alluded to it a little bit, but uh, I would love to hear more along those lines. Yeah, well, there's, there's many examples, um, but really that kind of overview is, you know, we have 70 different specialty disease clinics at the hospital, each taking care of very sick and chronic children, but, but with very noticeable and specific diseases that we need to target. So what we've built is using tools like Microsoft Power BI as disease-specific dashboards that pull out those 50 elements and I'll give you an example in our rheumatology clinic at the start of the day before everyone starts seeing patients, the team puddles around, they look at their dashboard, they evaluate the patients that are coming in and they really get prepped for the day by looking at the data and assessing where this individual's patient's disease is at. And so from these tools, they can tell is their rheumatoid arthritis well-managed, is it out of control, are they having a flare-up and really assess that individual patient. It's almost like precise medicine I think for that patient by looking at the data and all getting on the same page. And you can imagine if you don't do that, it's fairly easy just to go to clinic, see every patient that walks in the door and almost start again, like, okay, who are you? Where are we at? And trying to get that first five minutes to assess where they're at. Now, when that patient walks in the front door, we really have a great understanding of where they're at in the treatment, what changes we need to make. I know and many, many times we don't need to see a patient every three months or every two weeks or whatever the normal schedule is. We can tailor that follow-up care to precisely what that patient needs 
And so doing that in a very meaningful way and lots of different disease specialties has been something we've worked hard on. Um, I'll give you one other example, which is just as, uh, as impactful, is detecting patients that are rapidly decompensating. So this may even be a patient in as a step-down acute unit, um, not particularly sick, but suddenly starts to decompensate and get very sick. In the old days, if we didn't catch that, we'd be calling the code team before we knew it, and that patient would be at serious risk. What we've developed is a system called Watcher, which takes data from the EMR in real time and many different variables and can talk kind of a score, if you like, a Watcher score that tells us how sick this kid is and how rapidly they're decompensating. And what it does is it allows us to get a 10-minute head start on taking care of that patient and jumping in and making a difference. And so that extra 10 minutes before you typically be running with a code and giving last-minute care allows us to really make a difference and make an intervention that really changes that child's life and, and really, you know, reduce death or serious illness within that. And that watcher wasn't just about getting a score. What that watcher was, was about getting the score and then getting a team of people who are really going to pay attention to it and take action. Because you can imagine if you had the score that showed you that a patient was decompensating, then no one did anything about it. It would be almost worse than having nothing at all. So we've really done a great job marrying up the technology with the people in the process so that meaningful events take place and we can really reduce harm in our organization. So um, those are just two examples, but things that not just sound great as a science project, but actually are making meaningful differences in people's care every day. What a great story for, on both sides. You know, I can imagine that's just multiplied many times over for the health system in so many different um, ways. It shows up for the children who very much need that care. Now, in addition to the actual healthcare and disease management, I know that patient experience is something that's top of mind for so many healthcare executives and leaders and clinicians today. How have your EMR platforms improved that patient experience? Yeah, and I, you know, it, it's an interesting conversation because 10 years ago, we were totally focused on the clinician's perspective of EMRs and how they were gonna interact with them. And I think we had to almost get over that hurdle and get that settled before a lot of people turn their attention to the patient experience. You know, and I've heard someone say to me just last week that healthcare is kind of the last bastion of no customer service. It's something we've struggled with as an industry for a long time. I'm really pleased to say that many organizations now, like you mentioned, are, are hyper-focused on patient experience, both before COVID and afterwards, but I think COVID really kind of gives some extra focus to the patient experience. Um, we've been working hard on this for quite some time, so nearly six years on a whole set of different tools that really take the data in the EMR and make a difference for patients. I'll give you one example that I feel personally very passionate about and, and I helped implement several years ago, and that's what we call normal lab results. Um, and especially if you can think about maybe your own child or children that you know is, if you have a child that comes to the hospital and the doctors may be concerned they have lead poisoning, and so they do a test to see if there's lead in the blood uh, or a, a test for lead. And let's say that test comes back and it's all normal. Well, most hospitals don't call back with a normal result. They only really ever call back if something's wrong and you need to come back in. It's very rare they call back with a normal because normal results are the most common results. And so you'd be calling people all the time. But if you're that parent or if you're like me as a parent, as soon as that test happens, I'm immediately worried that my, my daughter does have lead poisoning. And until I hear something different, I'm going to assume the worst. And I'm going to be stressed and worrying. Um, and so what we did was we built a system that as soon as that lab result uh, comes back out, if it's normal, it texts the family 
within 30 minutes of it being resulted and lets them know it's normal. Now, if it's abnormal, we say, you know, the physician's going to contact you. We give time for the physician to get there. But if we know it's okay, we immediately text them and try and relieve that worry for the family. Now, not only that, it saves lots of phone calls into the hospital and nurses getting distracted, looking up normal lab results, but it's really been a, a kind of game changer for families and giving them that peace of mind. Um, other, another area which is really interesting is what I would call kind of home monitoring, but not the way you'd expect with sending bunches of equipment to people's houses and expecting them to use it. Um, in fact, a good percentage of our, our families don't even have Wi-Fi at home. But what this is in terms of home monitoring is keeping up with how the disease is progressing in between the visits. So if you can imagine a scenario where someone comes to us with a really chronic headache, um, and the typical solution there is to prescribe one of three different medications in different dosages and then send them home. And normally we would expect to see them again in six weeks and see how they're doing. Well, imagine if that medication doesn't work and that headache doesn't get better, you've got to wait six weeks before you see someone to adjust it again. How much better would it be if you could report back via text message and a small app to say, hey, this is what's going on on a, on a daily or a weekly basis, um, and then have the physician be able to make that change without you having to come in for the follow-up visit every time. And so we think these home monitoring tools that gather those really important pieces of data for particular diseases using just a text and then a feedback system have really made a difference. And what they do is they kind of fill in the gaps um, of data between the visits and it allows us to keep treating that patient as if they were coming in almost every day. And so those are two examples I can give you. There, there are many more where I think the EMR platform is really extending out to the family and is almost bringing the family and, and the patient into the care experience and kind of bringing them into that electronic ecosystem, which is the EMR which for so long they were excluded from. So uh, I think it's an exciting time for patient experience. That's amazing to hear. And, and definitely what great examples. I know for myself and my two children that you know would certainly be helpful as we're going through the healthcare process. Luckily, we haven't had to do so in a very serious manner, but um, I, I know, you know the chances are at some point we will have that experience. And so it's great to hear what is on the forefront and what's really um you know, what hospitals and healthcare organizations are able to do today with their EMRs. Are there any new innovations that you're working on or would like to see in the near future? Um, I think from a, a big a big innovation I'd like to see is, like I mentioned, EMRs have kind of evolved. Um, and, and one of the things I think about when I think about the, the physician's experiences, they're still kind of tied to a keyboard and a mouse. And that keyboard and mouse was invented in the 1980s, and it really hasn't progressed we haven't got a new input method um, since then. And so I'm fascinated to try to figure out what a new input device is. Um, and I know there are lots of people working on kind of voice technology so that um, potentially listen in to what's going on in the clinic room and how wonderful would it be is if the physician, the family could just have a natural conversation and the, and the listening device, the, the microphone or whatever it was, was able to pluck out the really important pieces of information from that discussion and act on it. So it could hear the physician says, well, I think I'd like to prescribe you Tylenol, or I think I'd like to order an MRI for you and have that data entry just happen in the background. And I think that would liberate our physicians to be real, be able to focus and be present in the moment and rather than being tied to that keyboard and mouse. And so what I'd love to see is a kind of a, a big kind of audacious change in, in the technology would be uh, kind of putting that anchor away of the keyboard and the mouse and getting to a 
a more natural environment where physicians can really use their eyes and ears and empathize with the family and all of that record keeping happen in the background. So that, that's the big change I'm looking for. And I think that's the next revolution is we go to AMRs is to kind of free physicians from that, that keyboard and mouse. Um, but from kind of small things, I'd love to, you know, I'm very excited about the home monitoring applications. I told you as we build those out across diseases, I think they have a huge opportunity to reduce the number of physical follow-ups. Um, what we noticed with COVID is that, you know, many diseases are actually fine to do a telehealth visit just to keep up with people. And for children, especially, they don't like coming to the hospital. It actually puts them on edge. Uh, it can make them, if they've got behavioral health issues, it can flare those up and make them unhappy. And so why not let them um, have that visit from home? I think that, um, that's an, an awesome thing uh, to be able to be done. And, you know, those changes and changes around, uh, we've been working a lot on scheduling and stop people having to pick up the phone to book an appointment or to send in a paper referral or fax documents and let people manage the schedule like you would manage a restaurant uh, reservation or anything else we do in a regular life today. And, and that a lot of people say they do scheduling like uh, self-booking like that, but really what you end up having is just a few appointments exposed. And so what we're really working hard on is every appointment in our system, no matter what clinic it's in, no matter where it is, it's making it available to be self-booked by a parent and then also then be able to do things like wait lists and booking complicated appointments. That's fascinating to hear and really great to think through some of the innovations that are happening. Now, aside from that continuous innovation, what is needed to improve EMRs on a national scale? Yes, this is a, a big problem, especially as we kind of get down to just a handful of EMR vendors, but people are still distributed across them in a fairly even way, is that that interoperability. And I think we've all heard about the need to, to share data and systems don't talk to each other, but data movement is not necessarily the problem today. We, we've got health information exchanges and things like Epic Care Anywhere that can move data around, no problem. The real challenge is mapping that data is how does the data that when you check a checkbox for smoking in one person's EMR, how does that go to the right checkbox in the other person's EMR so that we all speak in the same language? So that common language for healthcare information is really what's still missing. Um, and it is a really big challenge in terms of people who move around the country or get care from different places. Um, again, it's not so much the, the copying of the data from A to B, it's just that translation and getting us all speaking the same language. So I think that's something that we have to solve. Um, you know, people talk about a, a national EMR or a single federated data set. I, I'm not sure we'll get to that. That's a lot of politics to get there, but we just have to do better in terms of sharing information. You wouldn't, I'm, I'm sure you probably wouldn't believe, but the amount of faxing that still goes on. And the reason we still fax is it's the lowest common denominator in that everyone can read a piece of paper, right? There's no translation needed. We all read a piece of paper it doesn't matter if it came from any one of the EMRs, it's kind of a lowest common denominator, but we've got to be able to do better than faxes. So that's one big innovation. Um, the other thing I think, especially as we get into a the time here of kind of, like I said, cost reductions or lower margins, is how we get better re financial return from our investments in technology. Many hospitals are putting hundreds of millions of dollars into technology, and I'm not sure we're getting that benefit out. Uh, especially when we look at the opportunity cost of not building buildings or not getting new surgical equipment or whatever else it is we could spend that money on, or really honestly reducing the cost of healthcare for our patients. 
I think we really have to ask ourselves, are we getting that value out of our EMR and our systems? And if we're not, is there a lower cost alternative? Um, so those are two big things I think about at kind of on a national level. That makes a lot of sense. And there's really, really helpful context as we think about, you know, how these EMR systems are going to grow and develop. David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really amazing discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. It's been great. Thank you. Have a great day.